Well, good morning. Good morning. Welcome. Hi. Hi. Thank you. That's very nice. It is a good morning. <laughs> Excellent. Well, welcome to West Meadows. Whether you're on site or joining us online, we're glad you're with us today. Uh, I am back after a couple of weeks off. Uh, Nadine and I took a bit of a winter break in January. We try to do that each year. Had a few days at home, and we actually had a chance to spend a week down in Mexico as well, which obviously, without saying, is wonderful. Now, here's the thing. On the way down there, we had quite an adventure on our, uh, on our journey. Uh, and sometimes just simply traveling with Nadine is an adventure. And so we, uh, we left bright and early like you typically do when you're flying internationally. And typically there's security issues when we go through with Nadine. I don't know if she's on a list somewhere or something, but <laughs> there always seems to be some sort of bump. We thought we were going to be clear of it this time. But what she had done is she had stacked uh, some electronics on top of each other, which the security guy thought, well, we'll just run them through one more tuck. One more time, separate them, we'll be good to go. But he figured this would also be an opportunity to maybe do some additional scanning. So he took that moment to just swab the electronics and then to scan it. And wouldn't you know it, it came back positive. Red lights start flashing. And all of a sudden, we're being questioned as to why we're testing positive for nitroglycerin on, on our devices. Which is a very valid question as to why have you been in contact with nitroglycerin? And then the follow-up question is, why are you trying to get onto a plane? So obviously that led to some additional <laughs> screening that we had to go through on the way down, which was fine. We still made it to our gate on time. We were about to take off right when they decided that it was not safe to do so. And they deboarded us five minutes before we took off because apparently of the freezing rain that day, a plane tried to take off and did a 360 on the runway. Probably best not to fly under those conditions. And so we had a two-hour delay. We finally got to Calgary, where we're going to connect to Mexico. And then the two-hour delay made us miss our connection. And with the WestJet cancellation of flights, there are no more flights to Mexico for a couple of days. So they flew us to Vancouver, and we spent the day in Vancouver. And the next day we got up, and we finally arrived. A little bit late, but we finally arrived. The biggest miracle of all that is our bags arrived as well which was amazing that the bags made it through all that, not just that we did as well. Well, we had a great chance down there for a few days to relax and reconnect again. Great chance to do some fishing, to enjoy some sunshine. Uh, you see that fish that I'm holding? Uh, Nadine and I caught five of those. And a marlin. Got a marlin. <laughs> so that was exciting. Uh, it was a wonderful time down there. Uh, we tried to stay safe the whole time, masking and sanitizing, went through multiple COVID tests, all clear, everything's perfect. We get home, and a couple of days later, I don't know if it's our granddaughter who's a little germ factory or what, but four days later, we all got sick once we got home. <laughs> so, so here we are. I feel fine. My voice is a little, bit, uh, a little bit rough, still recovering. We'll see how it goes here for the next few moments, but we are definitely excited to be back. Thank you for the break to allow us to to head off and do that. And we're excited to be kicking off a brand new sermon series today. And this sermon series is called Experiencing New Life. Now, if you've been around West Meadows for more than a week or two, you've probably heard us use that phrase quite a bit, even, even in service today. Andrew just spent a few moments talking about some examples of new life that are existing within our congregation through the physical birth that is taking place. And we talk about new life a lot because we understand this to be one way that we reference the mission that we believe that our church is called to. And our mission statement is this. It is to invite people to experience new life with Jesus by living out his grace, truth, and love. Now, I'm confident that many of you know that phrase because we use it in our services we use it all over the documentation that we may mail or email to you. It's on the banners at the side of the stage. It's on the banners in the foyer. 
So I think we have an idea, we're familiar with this phrase, but I'm not as certain that we all fully understand what it means. Like, I'm confident we know the phrase, but if I were to ask you, how would you define new life? What is new life? Or if I were to push that a step further and ask you the question, how did you experience new life in your life this week? I think I would get a very varied number of answers that would come back to me. Now, on one hand, that's okay. Because the different ways that God can impact a life is, is limitless. It is incredibly diverse on how God can impact a life. And so new life really doesn't have a simple limitation. But on the other hand, it stands to reason that we should probably all be speaking the same language. Because they say that clarity of communication is critical if any group is going to be successful in accomplishing their mission. You know, for example, I remember uh, back in the 90s when I worked for an organization by the name of Icon. Some of you might remember this logo. The company has been since bought and, and shifted. But some of you might remember this logo, this company name uh, of Icon Office Solutions, an international company, one of the Fortune 500 company, who came into being when, when a group of 200 independent companies were very rapidly purchased and brought together to form one company of 20,000 employees and $4.2 billion in revenue per year. So 200 individual companies rapidly purchased to form one corporation of 200,000 employees. Now, if you think it's difficult at a church to get a few hundred people to think on the same page, imagine 20,000 employees over multiple countries. Well, they determined that they need to have a high level of communication, and that high level of communication would actually lead to a number of training seminars that I would have to participate in as an employee of the company. And so every few months, I'd find myself being trained. It, it started with the, some initial online training in my home office in Prince George. And then after a little while, they flew me to Toronto for two weeks of training. And then a, well, a little while later, they flew me to Atlanta for two weeks of training. And in the course of all of this, they would hand us this book, this book of acronyms, acronyms we could learn so that we were all speaking the same language, all defining the same things the same way. And did you know that even the name Icon is actually emblematic of this desire, this effort to be speaking the same language? Anyone know what the word, the name Icon even stands for? It's actually an, an acronym itself. The name Icon means I know one name. Because they bought 200 companies and they figured, what are we going to call them? We got to have one name. I know. I know one name is what ICON actually stands for. Trying to get everybody to speak the same language, to find things the same way. Well, throughout the month of February, I want to help us to have a common understanding of the new life that is available to all of us by the one name of Jesus Christ. And by that one name, so that we can all have the same understanding and the same experience of spiritual new life with God, which enables us then to participate in relational new life with each other and motivates us to be at the heart of new missional life with the world around us. New life within us, new life amongst us, and new life beyond us is what I want to help us to define in the month ahead. And we begin today by talking about this idea of spiritual new life that is available to all people. And, and we talk about spiritual new life. The first thing I want you to know is that it's not just talking about an event. 
but it is more truly talking about an ongoing process whereby you can experience new life with Jesus every single day of your life. You see, because just as physical new life begins with an event, we know that that's not the whole story, right? We know that that actually moves on to an ongoing process of, of growing and maturing. Well, so too with our spiritual new life. It begins with an event, an event that sometimes the theologians refer to as the moment of justification, that moment when God pronounces a person right because of their faith in Jesus Christ, pronounces them righteous because of their faith in Jesus Christ. Now, this word justification is is actually a a, a legal term from, from, from Greek language. It means to declare not guilty. It means that a person can stand before a righteous judge. In this case, a person can stand before a righteous God and be declared not guilty. Now, the ability to stand before God and be justified, that's not unique to Christianity. That, that pursuit is not unique to Christianity. That, that, that is really, if you think about it, the central pursuit of practically every single religion and philosophy that exists that, that acknowledges the existence of a God. But commonly, the way that they say that that is made possible is through things like earning it through our own effort. Just be, be virtuous. Be a good enough person. Obey enough laws. And you can stand righteous before God. It is the message of many different world religions we come across. And, and this actually, it's not the same, but it's not completely dissimilar from even the understanding of righteousness that we can find in the Old Testament. You see, in the Old Testament, it establishes that God is the true righteous, the one and only true righteous God. And he is therefore the one and only true righteous judge. And those who are faithful to follow, you know, to dutifully follow him, and those who observe his will are those who are declared righteous. Now, the New Testament picks up upon this tradition. And, and calls people to good conduct and, and to, to obedience to God's will and to his laws. But the New Testament does something different. It also points out the enduring problem that this philosophy has. The, the, the enduring issue that is inherent to it all. You know what the problem is? It's not possible to earn that on your own effort. Even though that is the philosophy, it's not impossible for this to happen. It is only possible through God's intervention. And this is what we read about when we look at Romans chapter 3. It's starting in verse 22 where it says righteousness, this right standing before God. Righteousness is given. Righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all of those who believe. Why? For all have sinned. And for all have fallen short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by their own good works, by their own virtue. No, no. All are freely justified by his grace through the redemption that came through Jesus Christ, through the shedding of his blood. You see, we cannot earn justification by rule-keeping and do-gooding. It is only possible by our faith in the sufficiency of Jesus' sacrifice upon the cross, which was this act of incomparable divine grace and love that is freely offered to all people. And here's the beautiful thing of this. The very second that you accept that is true. 
the very second that you believe that Jesus' work upon the cross was sufficient to pay the price for the sins that separate you from God, the very moment you confess your need to receive that forgiveness for yourself, in that very second, this miraculous transaction takes place where we are no longer identified with the guilt of our sin. We become instead identified with the victory and the righteousness of Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.17 puts it this way. It says, if anybody is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old is gone. It's in the past. The new, excuse me, the new life is what has come. Isn't that amazing? You know, this experience of new life in Jesus Christ is similar to this illustration that I, I heard many, many years ago that I've always just loved. This illustration about a, a crabapple tree, if you will. Now, some of you might have crabapple trees in your, in your yards, uh, in your neighbor's yard, and, and you'll know a couple things about them. One, they produce a rather sour, undesirable fruit. And often quite a lot of it. <laughs> that is really only good for a few things. One, for the birds, and two, to be discarded. But suppose for a moment that a gardener made, came up to that crabapple tree and made a diagonal cut across the trunk of that tree. And then he took a fresh green section of stem, cut with the same identical splice of a different tree, and then he spliced it onto what was left of the crabapple tree. And then he would carefully wrap it, and he would seal the splice, and he, he would support it with the stem and brace it in place. But then before he would leave that tree, he would do one more thing. He would snip off the old tag that said crabapple tree on it. And he would attach a new tag on the tree that says golden delicious apples. And very soon, after a little bit of time, some buds would start to appear above the splice line. And eventually those buds would blossom and the blossoms would turn to apples, but they would not be crabapples. They would be instead golden delicious apples. Because it's no longer a crab tree, apple tree. It is instead a golden delicious tree. That is its new true identity. That is its new potential that it has in the world. I invite you to think for a minute of when you made that decision to accept Christ into your life. Or, or maybe you can think of somebody that you know who made that decision to give their life to Jesus. What evidence did you see? What, what fruitfulness did you see as they were experiencing new life? Think about that for a minute. I, I sat back and processed that a bit this week of the people that I've known over the years as being a pastor who have seen come to know Christ. And there's always this, this new awareness of, of inappropriate things that existed in their old life, whether, whether that be you know, language or behaviors or, or injustices in the world. Quite often I see people convicted of aspects of their own lifestyle or maybe it's a habit or a pattern that existed that they feel this new need to release or to, to work to break free from. I've seen people instantly healed of, of addictions to cigarettes and alcohol and drugs. This instantaneously happens. I've also seen other people have to, have to struggle through that but have the new passion and power to do it because of the presence of Christ in their lives. I've seen people who have had these new desires and cravings that did not exist before Christ, and now they want to know more about him and grow in their faith of him and, and worship him and be in fellowship with his people. 
I've seen fruitfulness of this overflowing joy and desire to share good news of Jesus Christ. The good news of the new life that they have with everybody in the world around them. And when that happens, when they share their faith with somebody else and that person then accepts Christ. They too experience new life. And this, and this seeding takes place and it continues on. And in the instant that they declare that they believe in Christ and receive his forgiveness, they too are justified. They too are declared righteous before God. They too become a new creation. And it continues on to grow the kingdom of Christ. Now, I think back of one story in particular. Uh, back when, uh, when I first, well, not when I first, but when I was baptized. And I was, I was about 20 years old, and I knew uh, this guy that I was baptized with. I actually knew him from the business world. I was selling fasteners, like staples and nails and hammers and stuff. And this was a construction worker. We kind of met in the field. And then, you know, I, I can't remember exactly how it happened, but somebody had shared new life with Christ with him. And then he accepted Christ. And the transformation in him was instantaneous. This guy was immediately filled with this new joy and this, this new hope. He started attending the same church that Dindy and I were going to, and he was coming to Bible studies, and, and he was sharing his faith with everybody he could possibly encounter. And he could not wait to be baptized. He could not wait to be baptized. He was so excited when the day and the moment finally came. And after we both were baptized, we went downstairs to this, this large bathroom to get changed. And the whole way, he's just cheering, and he's fist pumping, and we're high-fiving all the way down, and he keeps going, that's awesome. This is so awesome. And he kept repeating it over and over and over again. And every time he would repeat it, he would start to add more words to it. And these, more, these, these additional words, these expletives that eventually started becoming four-letter expletives. And it was really awkward because we were just baptized. And here's this guy going, this is so awesome. He's on fire that he just got baptized, but he's dropping F-bombs in the bathroom. And I was really, really unsure about this. Now, it's not ideal. Okay, I'm not condoning that. It's not ideal, but it's not surprising either because he had just started his faith journey. He had just started his journey, and there was evidence of the genuine nature of his faith. But in this moment, he was also displaying his incredible need for something else that we refer to as sanctification. You see, sanctification is referred to as the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit in a person's life. As they take us from our moment of justification throughout our life, guiding us to continually, gradually be shaped more into the image of Jesus Christ. This ongoing process. Literally, the word sanctification means to be set apart. It's this process of gradually becoming more holy. As God says, be holy as I am holy. But here's what we know. Not just from the story of of, of Tony. But even from our own lives, don't we? We know that sanctification is not an immediate, instantaneous, where I was a sinner, now I'm a saint, and I'm just perfect. I have a halo and an aura, and I glow, and I do no wrong. That's not how it works. We know that's not how it works. We do know from perhaps our own testimony, the testimony of those that I have encountered, that there are some things that when people experience new life in Christ just immediately changes. But there are some other areas, and we know this for sure. I know that we're not alone on this. There are other areas where we have to work at it. There are other areas that take time, and they take a matter of choice and decision for us to work on those things. Many of us know this, whether you've been a follower of Christ for a few weeks or months or years, maybe even for decades. I'm willing to bet this, 
that no matter how short or how long that path is that you have walked with Christ, there are still moments where you feel ill-equipped. There are still moments when you stumble and fall. There are still moments when you feel tired and you're like, I'm just going to take a break for a bit. There are still moments when, when you get off course and you think, maybe, maybe I should just quit. It happens. It happens to all of us. And in the midst of those moments, we have to be very careful. We have to be very careful to understand that the sanctification is a process. And there are moments when we stumble, when we fall, when we get tired, when we, when we get off course. There are moments when these happen, and, and, and they're very important moments for two reasons. Reason number one is because in these moments, there is the opportunity for the devil to get a foothold in your life. There is nothing he would love more than to steal the freedom of new life that exists within you. There is nothing he would like more to make you question, was I ever really saved in the first place? Was Jesus ever really enough in the first place? There is nothing more he would like than to make you question and doubt that. But the second reason these moments are so important is because they give us opportunities to get back up to learn and to grow and continue to walk forward in our faith. You know why these things happen? Like at a theological level, you know why these things happen? It goes back to the root of our justification. Because the reality is this. We'd never earned our justification. We never earned it. There's nothing in us that made us worthy of it. There's nothing in us that made us earn it. And if we didn't earn it, that means it was given to us. This is what theologically is referred to as imputed righteousness. That, that it was given to you. It was imputed to you. It was given to you. It came from a source beyond you, but you now possess it. It was imputed to you. And that source beyond us is Jesus Christ. And here's the thing. If it is not of us, but it now resides in us, Let's not be surprised when we have to learn how to let it live through us. Does that make sense? If it's not naturally of us, but it now resides in us, let's not be surprised if it takes a little bit of time and some effort, but it's worth the time and it's worth the effort to allow it to live through us. You see, Tony, this guy I got, I got baptized with, is, he is simply an example of the crabapple tree. Because here's something else about that tree. Is that we talked about what happens above the graph line. How, how blossoms turn into fruit, and that fruit is, is golden, delicious apples. But, but what happens below the graph line? You see, below, if, you've ever, if you're a gardener, if you've ever done splicing of plants before, you know that below the graph line, there is still the potential for what's called sucker shoots to grow out. And if we do not cut those sucker shoots off, if we do not permit them to, if we permit them to grow, if we do not cut them off, and if we permit them to grow, they too will blossom. They too will produce apples and they will be crab apples. You see, these shoots in this fruit that grows below that splice line, they are simply usurpers deserving only one thing to be snipped and discarded. Because if those things are not removed from our lives, they will continue to grow and they will dominate the tree, negatively affecting its health in stealing vitality that could lead to healthier, more desirable fruit. Here's something you need to know. Even if that were to happen, the gardener never comes and changes the tag. 
Because the true identity, while it may be obscured by wild growth within the tree, the true nature of the tree remains. It is still a golden, delicious apple tree, just not a very healthy one. One that just needs to be pruned by the gardener. And I think we get the sense that Jesus understood the nature of this struggle. He understood the nature of this struggle when, if we look at the final prayer that he offered for and over his disciples, which we find in John chapter 17, where Jesus said this. He said, my prayer is not, he was praying, you know, obviously praying to his father over his disciples. He says, Lord, uh, my, Father, my, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world. My prayer is that you protect them from the evil one, essentially while they are still susceptible to him in the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but it's that you will protect them from the evil one while they're still in the world. You see, they are not of this world, even as I'm not of it. Sanctify them, Lord. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. This is where we get that idea of being in the world, but not of the world. This idea of being set apart from the world. We are in the world, but we are set apart from the world. It's not speaking of a holy kind of physical distancing. It's not the idea. It's not speaking of this idea of we disengage from people or, or we just kind of cloister inside the walls of the church. That's not what it's talking about. It's, it's talking about the trajectory of your life, about the trajectory of your spiritual journey. Sanctify them, Lord, by your truth. Continue to build them. Continue to develop them so they reflect more and more of Christ. Reflect more and more of Christ in this world that they exist within. So how do we do that? How do we cut off those sucker shoots? How do do we grow more to emulate Christ in the world around us? Well, the answer is in that passage as well. Very simply, through the Holy Spirit's work in us, experience the effects of obedience to the word of God. Allow the Spirit to guide us in cooperation with the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God who Jesus promised to come to us to be a guide for us, to to convict us, to remind us of everything Jesus taught. To remind us of the transformational truth of Jesus Christ in his character, in his teaching, in his examples, in his message, in in his sacrifice. To become obedient to the Word of God and experience the transformational power of obedience to the Word of God. And if you do that, we can see through Scripture and through the testimony of of people around you and, and maybe even in your own testimony. If we do that, we can experience daily new life as we surrender our own will and instead experience the joy and fruitfulness of His fulfilling His purposes in our lives. We can experience regular new life by avoiding pridefulness and avoiding conflict with others and instead pressing into the freedom of fellowship with one another. We experience new life by maturing in our new life and letting go of selfish ambition instead being blessed as we become a blessing to others. And we can experience the joy of new life on a daily basis by finding freedom from habits, freedom from destructive patterns, freedom from addictions that only simply enslave and instead becoming slaves that are captivated by the power of the grace and truth and love of Jesus Christ. See, we are gradually being shaped. As we are gradually being shaped into the image of God, we become increasingly fruitful in that true identity of who he has declared us to be. 
And when that happens, it energizes our testimony. And it provides opportunities to experience new life with Jesus every day of your life. Because, folks, it's not just an event that happens one time. It is a daily opportunity that we have before us. You know, and as a pastor, I meet a lot of new Tonys. Excuse me. I meet a lot of new Tonys. These people who have just found new life. And they're a little rough around the edges. <laughs> and, and it's funny sometimes just how rough some of these people are at times. And, it, and it's... it's, it's it, exciting and, and sometimes humorous to see this unbridled energy and zeal that exists within them. And, you know, and, and, and when I meet them and I, I walk with them for a little bit, they, they make messes, <laughs> like, like, like tons of messes. They need lots of guidance. They, they take a fair bit of time out of, out of a person's day. But I love them. I love these new Tonys. And I don't really worry too much about them. You know Why? Because the fact that they're energized, the, the fact that they're trying and stumbling, but then they get back up and keep moving shows to me the genuineness of their faith and that they are going through. They've entered into this process of sanctification. They are growing in the new life they have in Christ. And each and every single stumble and get back up, each and every single victory, each and every single step that they take in sanctification is an opportunity for us to celebrate the new life in Christ that they have. I don't worry too much about new Tonys. You know what I do worry about? The more mature Tonys. Those who have grown in faith for a while. Those who, who have come to know a fair bit of information. Because you know what happens to, quite often to, to new Tonys? Is they get comfortable. They, they kind of stop regularly experiencing the new life that I've been trying to describe to you today. They start to lose that zeal. Their testimony starts to become devoid of the power of the Holy Spirit because there's just not a, a whole lot going on. Now, sometimes people ask me the question, if I was going to write a book, what, what would the title of my book be? And I've always given the same answer for about 16, 17 years that I've been a pastor. I've had the same answer for the whole time, and the answer is this. The title of my book would be Comfortable Ignorance. Now, if you relate to my description of the, of the mature Tony, or, or if you feel the spirit kind of, poking you a little bit and you're shifting in your seat right now, please don't be put off by the title of the book. Please don't be offended by the title, but do challenge yourself by it. and Do measure yourself by it. So let me describe what I mean. What I'm speaking about here are people of genuine belief in Jesus Christ. These are wonderful people who have a genuine faith. They are fully committed to God and to his word. Quite often, these are people who are regularly attending church and regularly reading their Bibles, and they, are, and, and they pray, and they volunteer on occasion, and they laugh at my jokes. And, and they, like good people, right? Good people. But then they reach a point. And, and I'm guilty of this, too, in my journey. They reach a point where they go, you know, I think I know enough. I, I think I've done enough. I think, I'm, I think I'm good enough. Honestly, I found this little sweet spot where if I just sort of stop now and settle in and get comfy, I can kick back and wait for eternity. Now, we may not phrase it that way, but, but it happens. It happens all too often. And the reason I use the word ignorance is not because I'm speaking of a lack of intelligence. I, I've already said this about people who know a lot. I'm, I'm not speaking of a lack of intelligence or a, a lack of knowledge, but... 
But what I'm more referring to here is, is that sometimes these people have lost sight of the new life that is still available. They have just lost sight of how much more is still available to them. And because they've reached this point of the sweet spot where they get comfortable and they just sort of stop the journey and they've lost sight of how much more is yet ahead. You know, we look at the example of Scripture, people like Peter and Paul, man, they never stopped striving. They never lost this desire for a deeper experience of Christ, this deeper experience of new life. Consider Paul, for example. Think of all that he had accomplished and, 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 and all that he had done and been used to powerfully shape the, the first century church. And even right up to today, I'm talking about him, like right up to today, he's still being used. Think of all that he had accomplished. He had shared the good news with the most powerful people in the world. He had planted churches throughout the known world. He had mentored the first pastors and, and established those churches and resolved conflicts within them. And he had, he had written letters that we're still reading and being shaped and formed by today. If you think there is ever a guy who earned a little time off, I pick Paul. You think Paul is far enough ahead in the race. He is far enough ahead that he could just hit cruise control and just get comfy for a bit. But what does Paul say? Philippians chapter 3. Brothers and sisters, he says, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of anything. Brothers and sisters, those who are on the, fellow, uh, on the journey with me, he says, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. I have not arrived anywhere. There is still more in the days and the opportunities of my journey with Christ ahead of me. I have not taken hold of anything yet, he says. Instead, what does he do? He says, instead, I press on. I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which Christ has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. See, Paul knew that as long as there was still breath in his body, the race was not over. There was still more new life to experience in him and through him, the world around him. And I got to tell you, if a guy like Paul feels like there's more ahead of him, oh gosh, how much more so for a guy like me? See, new life with Christ is not just a one-time event in your life. It is an ongoing process of walking with the Spirit of God in the truth of Jesus Christ so that we can experience new life every day of our lives. Amen? I got to tell you, that this, this, this call heavenward that Paul speaks of in Philippians chapter 3, that he speaks of and anticipates at the end of his race, that is the ultimate goal. That is the Holy Spirit's ultimate goal of the work that he wants to do within us. This time when our entire self, our whole selves, all of our words, our actions, our thoughts, our hopes, our desires completely reflect the glory of Jesus. The moment when, when, when sanctification has been fulfilled within us. This is what is referred to as glorification. When we are fully free of sin, and we reside unhindered in community with God in glory. And at that time, there will be no longer anybody who is susceptible to sin, who is susceptible to temptation. They will be finally and totally removed. And because of that, <coughs> because of that, we will be free to fully obey 
and to fully fellowship with God and to experience new life with him in glory forever. And in that new life, there will be no more tears or pain or sorrow or fears. In that new life, there will be no decay or sickness or death or disease. And in that new life, there will be no division. There will be no conflict. We will have fellowship with God. We will have fellowship with one another in perfect unity and harmony in eternity. And do you know that all of these things I've been describing today, the justification, the sanctification, and the glorification, these are all incredibly beautiful gifts of grace and love that are offered to all of us. You see, new life is this ongoing experience we can have, and it doesn't even end in this life. We didn't earn it in this life. We don't deserve it in this life. But God has promised it. And we can rest assured in his promise that if we will be faithful to commit our lives to him, if we be faithful to grow in him, that he will see us through to the life to come. This is what we read about in Romans chapter 8. When we see this beautiful promise of God where it says, Those that God foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he justified. And those he justified, he will most certainly glorify. So I pray that when we think of new life, that we'll all know one name. The name of Jesus Christ, through whom we can all be justified. Through whom we can all be declared righteous and granted new life in our true identity. The one name through whom we can all be sanctified by the gift and the power of his Holy Spirit and through the obedience to the power of his word. And the one name whom we can trust through whom we will be glorified and perfectly reflect his image and dwell with him in all glory. It's because new life with Jesus Christ is not just a one-time event. It is an ever-present opportunity for you to experience new life every day of your life. Amen? Amen. Well, as I was prepping for today, for today's sermon, and knowing that we had this opportunity at the end of the message to come and respond through communion, so I was praying through that. I, I, there's the words of Jesus that were given to me. And I was drawn to this passage, a communion passage, where, as we know in the upper room, Jesus had gathered his closest followers to come and share a meal with him. And and as we're in the room and he was reclined at the table and there's a lot of conversation taking place and they're kind of eating and sharing and, and resting together. In the course of the eating and the drinking, we know there was this moment where Jesus drew their attention to the elements that were on the table. And, and one element he drew their attention to was, was the bread, which in a moment we will take ourselves that Jesus said is representative of his body. His body that would be sacrificed for them and for for all people, that they could come to know him. He also drew their attention to the cup, and, and he said that the cup represents his blood, his blood that would be shed and poured out and would, would form the new covenant, this new sacred promise that the forgiveness of sins could be complete and total for all people. And then he said this, Matthew 26, verse 29. He said this to them. He said, and I tell you, I will not drink from the fruit of this vine from now until the day when I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. That's the verse that I was drawn to. And the reason I think is this. 
is that even at the very first communion, at the very first Lord's Supper, as they sat around that table with the one who would make it all possible, pointing to the elements that would reflect what makes it all possible, the one who makes our justification a reality, the one who makes sanctification something that we can live in and experience, that even in that moment, Jesus already had a vision for our glory. He says, because these elements that we're taking right now, he said to his followers, I will do this with you today, but we will do it again. We will do it again in glory. Even at the first communion, Jesus had his mind on the fact that we would do this with him in glory. He was guaranteeing with his blood that his promises are true. See, communion is this time where we come together to gather to remember that God acted, that God moved and intervened in the world to make it possible, to make it possible that we could be declared righteous before the righteous judge. Have you accepted Jesus Christ's forgiveness for your sins? Have you taken that step to say, I believe that Jesus' work upon the cross was sufficient to pay the price for the sins, to pay the price that I could not. If you haven't made that decision, if you haven't declared that, not just in your heart, but through prayer and with your words, I invite you to do so today. And in the moment that you make that declaration, on the promises of Christ, the promise of Scripture, you are in that moment, you are justified, stand righteous before God and invited to join us at the table. You can do that right where you sit through a simple prayer saying, thank you, Jesus, for giving your life to pay the price for my sins, to pay the price that I could not. As you gave your life for me, I now give you mine. See, communion is also a time for those who have made that decision to, to reaffirm, to confess, to kind of get back in line with the guidance of the Holy Spirit, perhaps in ways that they have got off track. And maybe in this moment of reflection I'm going to give us in a second here, you, you you need to acknowledge in yourself that you have become too comfortable. That you have slipped into that comfortable place. And, and really that your life and your testimony, your witness, your activity, it is devoid of the power of the Holy Spirit and the new life that is available to you. You can take this moment right now before we come to the communion table to choose to confess that. To, to commit to getting back on track. and To walking in the freedom, the power of the new life that's available to you. And then finally, communion is also a time where we lift our heads up. And we look forward and anticipate the day when Jesus himself will sit around the table with us and we will drink this cup anew in heaven. Let's take a moment to reflect and then I'll lead us in the elements.